0: Oh gracious heavenly father we love you we thank you for your goodness and mercy to each of us we thank you for your great grace that you pour out upon us we thank you for your son jesus christ the one on whom we build our lives on his love which is a sure foundation that makes it so our lives can be steady i pray father as we dive into your word tonight that you would be our teacher your spirit would be our guide and that we would listen in jesus name amen so last week we discussed how god was looking for someone to be his minister and prophet to the nation of israel god used hannah and brought her into his will and to bring samuel to the nation of israel we looked at the corruption of the priesthood um which is what made a man like Samuel necessary. And if you remember, the priests were bad. I mean, they were stealing the choice cuts of meat that were meant for the Lord. They were um, sleeping with the women who came to the temple gates. Not good guys. Before tonight's over, God's going to deal with them. Chapter 1 is what we did last week. Chapter (laughs) 3, verse 1 just seeing who was paying attention. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down That the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you. My son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. So I like this, right? The Lord calls out to Samuel, and it's the middle of the night, uh, really getting on towards morning. That's what the, the oil of the lamp had not gone out. Remember, they would light those lamps in the tabernacle so there was always light in the tabernacle. Uh, and they would have a priest who, who basically had the night shift, and he had to stay up all night trimming the wicks and make sure making sure sure there was enough oil and so but towards morning they would stop filling up right if it, as long as there was enough oil to get to sunrise they would stop refilling it because they didn't want that oil to have to sit there um so the oil hadn't run out yet so it was getting near sunrise so maybe four or five o'clock in the morning and, and they kind of lay out this whole thing and uh samuel samuel runs in what's up eli i didn't say anything go back to bed right happens two more times on the third time Eli's like oh I think God's trying to tell you something boy next time this happens say speak for your servant hears right so we're going to get into all that in a minute but there's a verse that I think is is one of the saddest statements in the Old Testament it's right at the end of verse one there the word of the Lord was rare in those days there was no widespread revelation. And this is a sad indictment, and it's not because God was unwilling to speak. It's because the people were unwilling to listen. And there was no man to bring the word to the people. If, if you remember back to our studies in, in like um, Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy even, one of the jobs of the priests, uh, at least once a year, Uh, If I remember correctly, it was during, was it on the Day of Atonement? It was during one of the feasts. I want to say it was the Day of Atonement. It was the priest's job to bring out the law, which at that time would have consisted of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and by this time, at least the book of Joshua. And what was he supposed to do? He was supposed to read it in the hearing of the people. Was Eli doing that? Were his sons doing it? Clearly not. Right? God wanted to raise up men, and we can even, even see from the last chapter, women like Hannah to deliver his messages. But nobody was stepping up into that place. And I think what we see happening, what we saw happening throughout the book of Judges, and really the first portions of Samuel are in that same time frame is we see people lacking truth and so they will fill themselves with lies to try to fill what's missing in their lives. We were having that discussion this morning as I had breakfast with my brothers that we we view, we live in a world that is so lacking in the truth of God well they'll go after anything and look at the things that people go after. look at the things that people believe, right oh, you know what i'm gonna I'm gonna go to this special shop where the incense is burning heavy, and I'm gonna buy a crystal and I'm gonna wear it around my neck and it's gonna heal my soul. No, it's not you're gonna waste your money on a rock. I mean, maybe it's a pretty rock, but it's still a rock or i'm I'm gonna go to my psychic right uh down, uh, downtown they've been having at the um, farmer's market on Saturday mornings someone willing to throw your tarot cards. Yep. Yep. Boggles my mind. But when you don't have truth when you don't have truth you will believe lies. You'll believe terrible lies. No making jokes while I'm preaching. Terrifying! Oh, ha, ha, ha. I am so disappointed in me for not thinking of that. That's brilliant. That's, really That's terrifying. Psalm 63 verse 1 says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And here's the reality. God has placed within us a desire for him. And if we don't fill it with him... We're going to try to fill it with something because that desire is present. We are incomplete apart from him and we are constantly going to be seeking wholeness. And so, if you're not believing the truth, 2 Thessalonians two eleven through 12 tells us what happened. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion. That they should believe the lie. That they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Yeah, big ouch, right? Because there's going to come a point where a person is so dedicated to their lie and so unwilling to hear the truth that God's going to say, fine, have it your way. And that way is not going to end up well. So on the third time, after Eli figures out what's going on, he tells Samuel, all right, go back, lay down. And when he calls to you next time, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And Samuel does this. Notice he left out, Lord, speak for your servant hears, is what Samuel said. Now, we don't know how old he was at this point. Um, He could have been 10. He could have been 15. We don't don't know. He could have been 25. Um, But he was still a young man at this point and didn't know the Lord yet uh, or didn't know the word of the Lord yet. So he says this, and I just think, you want to know that this really should be our response. Anytime we open our Bible, anytime the Lord speaks to us in whatever way he chooses to speak to us, we listen. I think we make this mistake in prayer a lot. I don't know, I do it. I do it a lot, where I spend X amount of time in my prayer life talking. Talking. Instead of listening. So it's much more a a speech than it is a conversation. And I'm always reminded of Elijah in 1 Kings Kings 19. You know, he's on the mountain and there's the fire and the wind and the earthquake, and God wasn't in any of that. Because we always, right, right, that's how we want God to speak. We want the building to shake, we want tongues of fire. Don't get me wrong. That'd that'd be cool. But quite often, when does he speak? Well, he speaks when we shut up and we listen. That's what had to happen to Elijah. He had to stop whining and be quiet. And then God spoke to him in that still, small voice. And what did Elijah do? He listened. And he went back to work. Verse 11. Verse 11. Ooh, not good. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. We saw that prophecy in chapter 2. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. We talked about that last week. It was his job to stop them. And he didn't do it. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. And he threatens him. What a mean old man. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him and he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So God's message to Samuel. Remember that guy who came around the the, the tabernacle in the last chapter, right? However long ago that was. I'm going to do everything that guy said, because it was my word. I'm going to kill every man in Eli's house. Now, imagine you're Samuel, right? We don't know his age. Maybe he was young. Maybe he was 10, 12 years old. Maybe he was a little older. Whatever the case, he'd never received a word from the Lord before. And on top of that, whatever his age was, Samuel had been his mentor since he was five, six years old. I am sure it kind of freaked him out a little bit. Samuel gets called by Eli. Eli says, tell me everything, boy. And if you don't tell me everything, whatever God said to you, that's what he's going to do to you, right? Come on, Eli, he's a kid. Samuel says, fine. God's going to kill you and everybody in your house, right? That probably wasn't the way he said it, but that was the message. couple things. Eli... On hearing this message, first, recognizes that this is the Lord. And second, he resigns himself to the will of God. No repentance. No, all right, I'm going to try to set this right. And he goes and smacks the boys around a bit. Nothing. Oh, well, I guess we'll all die. There's one verse in here, though. Verse 14 says that Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. That statement is powerful. There is nothing that can ever be done to reconcile Eli's house to God. Nothing. That's a frightening thing to think about, isn't it? Even though Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient to save everyone on this planet from their sin and condemnation. There will be many, many billions who do not respond to this free gift and will therefore be lost. Matthew 7.13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. And because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, And there are few who find it. Hebrews 10, 28, and 29 will be there on Sundays in a few weeks. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted? the spirit of grace no thank you i do not want that to be me verse 19 i don't want that to be you either i really don't want it to be me so samuel grew the lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground i love that statement and all israel from dan to beersheba knew that samuel had been established as the prophet of the lord And then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord in chapter 4, verse 1, which really belongs in chapter 3. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. So Samuel grows before the Lord. The Lord is with him. He is established as a prophet in Israel because this is what God wanted. God wanted someone to bring the word to his people. And Eli and his sons should have been those guys, but they failed. And Remember, we talked about how Samson didn't live up to his potential, but Samuel does. And we see that here, right? We see that beginning. And because of that, the word of the Lord through Samuel went to all of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba. If you've got a map, that's a kind of spans what Israel possessed at the time. Now, what I really love is that God let none of his, that Samuel's words, fall to the ground. In other words, because this was the word of the Lord, and because Samuel was being faithful to proclaim all of what God spoke through him, then all of it came to pass. I like that. I want to be faithful to proclaim God's word, knowing that what it says will come to pass. I appreciate that. Chapter 4. Now chapter 4 and chapter 5 are kind of fun. At least in my mind. We will see the pinnacle of Eli, Phineas, and Hophni's stupidity in these next, well in this chapter. anyway. Alright. Chapter 4 verse 2. Now Israel went out to battle against The Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? I know. Let's do something stupid, or oh, it doesn't say that, but um, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, and when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong! And conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrew as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Wow. So they're out there with the battle. The first go-round doesn't go well. 4,000 Israelites die. So they have um, just, uh, there's a show that we used to love to watch called uh, Pushing Daisies. And one of my favorite comments of all time in that show, uh, there's this guy who goes, oh, look, a stupid idea, found a friend. Well, that's what happened here. Someone said, I know, let's go get the ark. Oh, look. A stupid idea found a friend because they sent to Shiloh, Phinehas, and Hophni bring the ark out to the battlefield. What didn't they do? Did they pray? Did they seek the Lord? Lord, should we bring your ark out to battle? Lord, should we even be fighting against the Philistines right now? Lord, should we just... No, none of it. And what do they ask? Why has the Lord defeated us blaming god when they failed to seek him for his will and counsel right we we see this all the time we've hit on this a lot as we've gone through the old testament because we see it happen a lot right oh right with with naomi the lord i left full and he's brought me back empty the lord didn't do that to you it was your own decision and a host of other examples but here Why would the Lord do this to us? He didn't do it to you. You were dumb. Right? Second, they were presumptuous about God. They were presumptuous and instead they didn't seek his will, they didn't seek his counsel. Instead, they presumed. Oh, in the past, we've seen, you know, we know that our fathers carried the ark into battle. So that's what we should do. Psalm 19.13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Psalm 33.10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Don't ever act presumptuously. We were having our elders meeting this afternoon and we're talking and praying about uh, starting a a new ministry here. And and I shared with my elders. I said, the Lord spoke to me the other day and told me um, something to the effect that you're going to do it even if I say no. And I was like, whoa, oh, whoa, okay. I'm going to stop. And I'm going to wait till you say yes. I'm not going to do it even if you say no, because, well, that's a bad idea. And so I told him, we're going to we're just put the brakes on, and we're going to wait on the Lord. And if he says no, okay. And if he says yes, we're going to wait till we know that he's the one who's saying yes. Because I, I don't want to do this. Oh, it's a great idea. Let's do it, right? It's so easy to hear a great idea Well, and just jump in But sometimes a great idea isn't a God idea. Sometimes a good idea isn't his will. So what do we do? We wait on him. We do what Samuel did in the last chapter. All right, here I am. Speak, Lord, your servant listens. And we wait. They didn't do that. It didn't turn out well. By the end of this, uh, probably a couple days, 34,000 Israelites died and the rest of them ran And remember the prophecy against Eli that both of his sons would die in the same day. Boom, done. Verse 12. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Remember, this was a sign in their culture of great mourning and and, and, um, uh, grief. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. Well, if your heart trembled for the ark of God, you're the high priest. Why did you let it go? Say, um, yo, I'm in charge. The answer is no. Right? Whatever that sounds like in Hebrew. But no. He goes, well, okay. And then he's sitting there worried because he knew it was wrong. And the man came into the city and told it. All the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise, verse 14, of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. Talk about a bad day for Eli, right? Whose fault was it? Eli's. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God, right? Not his sons, but the ark of God, that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. So I do find that interesting, Um, that even though it's not listed in the book of Judges, here we find that Eli was uh, not only the high priest at the the time, he was meant to be the judge in Israel. Was he doing his job? Right? No, obviously. So this guy comes back, and we see a fulfilling of the prophecy that we saw in chapter 2, Joshua 21, 45. I don't know if you remember that. It says, Not a word failed of any good thing, which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass um, that can refer to judgment as well now verse 19 oh verse 19 now his daughter-in-law Phineas wife do you remember back in chapter 2 that Phineas was sleeping with the women at the gate the dude was married what a scumbag I am not sad that he's dead I mean I know it was a long time ago But in our journey through the scriptures, I'm not sad that Phineas croaked. His wife was with child, due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth, for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod. Oh, poor kid. Saying, the glory of the Lord is departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. Would someone please close that door? So Phineas' wife goes into labor hearing that both her husband and her father-in-law were dead and the ark of God was gone. Now, When her son is born, she doesn't regard what the the women, you know, the midwives said to her. She wasn't like, oh, well, great. I had a son. At least my husband's name will live on, whatever. No, she doesn't regard it, but she names him before she dies. Ichabod. And not good old Ichabod Crane. Ichabod. The word means no glory. For she said the ark or the glory of God has departed because the ark of God was gone now had the glory of God departed from Israel at this point no not yet right God had a man Samuel he was raising up his word was going throughout Israel his promise to kill off the family of Eli and the corrupt priesthood has come to pass right his glory hadn't departed God was working in all of this we're going to see in the next chapter, one of my favorite chapters of First Samuel, um, but we see that the glory hadn't departed yet. Now, there does come a time when the glory truly departs from Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18, it says that the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. As you read on in that chapter, the glory of, the God, of God actually ascends, truly departing from the temple. This was a result of repeated sin that was never repented of. The Lord has promised to never leave us or forsake us in Hebrews thirteen five. He's promised that nothing can separate us from His love in Jesus Christ in Romans eight thirty one through thirty nine. But as we spoke about it in Hebrews six four through six, there is a possibility that we can choose to abandon our relationship with God. And the person who practices repeated sin who never repents of that sin, see, God is right there. All right, the wind is just knocking the doors back there. Um, But who never repents of that sin will pull themselves farther and farther away from him, and eventually the Lord will give them up to that sin. We read about that in Romans chapter 1. We read about that earlier in, um, uh, i got to find it, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Eventually God will say, fine, And without genuine repentance, there is no coming back. I don't believe God ever gives up on us. But he will let us stew in the consequences of our own sin. And if someone chooses to walk away from him, he will honor that choice. That is why repentance in the life of the believer is so important. Too many churches and too many Christians believe, well, you repent when you get saved and then you're good. I repent of various things almost daily. Sometimes moment by moment. Right? You're, you're, you're driving into town. Somebody cuts you off. Somebody goes slow. Someone rides up on your bike. I'm sorry. Lord, I, I know better. That's not how you want me to act. Right? It's why, by the power of his Holy Spirit, we must abide in him. As we're told to do in John 15 now chapter 5 chapter 5 is short we got plenty of time I love chapter 5 it's so much fun right the Philistines it says in chapter 5 then the Philistines took the ark of God and they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod when the Philistines took the ark of God they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon now remember uh the philistines there were five philistine lords they paid off uh uh, delilah to to get samson to betray his secret and each of these five philistine lords had a city of their own ashdod was one of them uh we'll see another one a little bit later i think it's ashkelon Uh, yeah we'll get there um And so they take it to one of their cities, one of their main capital cities, and they put it in the house of their god, Dagon. Now remember, Dagon was a fish god. And Dagon required human sacrifice. So he was obviously a demon. Uh, He was depicted as what we would call a merman. Right? Remember the Little Mermaid? And king, what was the king's name in The Little Mermaid? Fright Trident, Fright. Triton, Fright. Fred, um, <laughs> right? Fish tail, man body. That's how Dagon was depicted as an idol. And when the people of Ashdod arose in the morning, verse three, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and stood him back up again. When they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the Ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. (laughs) I love it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who came into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod. To this day, they were afraid of what happened. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod. And he ravaged them, and he struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and his territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God. Now, at this point, they recognize the power of God at work. They recognize that the power of the God of Israel is greater than the power of their little goldfish. They recognize this. Don't you think the proper way to respond would be, let's toss fish boy out and worship the Lord. Don't you think? That that seems like the reasonable conclusion to me. Not to the Philistines. I think... uh, we were talking this morning about certain televangelists who take people's money and, and promise them things that aren't from the Lord. And uh, apparently one of them was in an interview and was convicted by the Holy Spirit that what he was doing was a farce. And he admitted, and, and apparently this this interview, the recording of it has been confiscated and can't find it anymore because it was going to cost him too much money. But in this, he admitted that he never healed anybody, that all he was doing was basically stealing money from people, and he knew it. But the money and the attention and the fame, this brief moment of contriteness didn't last and he went right back to what he does and he's still doing it to this day but that's what we see here with the philistines right okay the god of israel is greater our god can't hold a candle to him you know what let's move the ark that's the right decision therefore They sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, let the the ark of God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of God of Israel away. It wasn't Eshcolon, it was Gath. So it was, after they had carried it away, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. Therefore, they sent the Ark of God to Ekron, right? We'll try another of our capital cities. Maybe they'll do a little better. So it was as the Ark of God came to Ekron that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought the Ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the Ark of the God of Israel. And let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with the tumors. And the cry of the city went up to heaven. So uh, we will we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens next week. But I love this. Three Philistine lords. Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron, three Philistine cities, one false God, and in all of it, none of them could stand before the one true God. Not one of them. Hebrews 6:13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Deuteronomy 10:17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Folks, this is the God we serve. This is the God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. There is no one greater. There are going to be many false gods. There are going to be many false lords. There are going to be many things that will try to get our attention that will try to distract us, that will try to get us like Satan did to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Just bow down to me, and you can have anything you've ever wanted. We've got to do what Jesus did. Go away. You shall worship the Lord, and him only shall you serve. There is no one, there is nothing that is greater than our God. I love it. I love it. Now, I do have to point out one thing in verse 9. Right, I always tell you when, I, when, when I, uh, the Lord shows this stuff to me or I, I look it up or hear it in a commentary, it's, it's only fair that you have to understand it too. In verse 9 it says, He struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out in them, right? Tumors are bad. Guess where they were? These were tumors that were breaking out in their bathing suit area. It's in the Hebrew, <laughs> right? So the English translators, the, the question was how do you find that out, right? In the Hebrew, that's what that means. The English translators are like, yeah, let's not talk about genitals. <laughs> let's just say the tumors broke out on them. But no thank you. Next week, we'll see how the Philistine lords returned the ark of God to Israel. Right? Actually, what's really cool is that when they send it back, they send it back with a trespass offering. I want to know how they knew what the proper trespass offering was. That's, that's interesting to me. But we'll talk about that next week. We will also see Samuel come into his role, right? He's been established as a prophet this week. Next week, he'll be established as judge. But until then, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the beauty of your word, for these amazing things that we get to study and, and reflect upon. I pray, Father, that you would remind us constantly that your word will come to pass that none of it will ever fail, that you would remind us constantly of the importance of living a life of repentance towards you. Because, Lord, we're far from perfect. I pray, Father, that you would let us always, always, always remember that there is no one greater than you. And let us worship you accordingly. In Jesus' name,